and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Okay, let's start with Launchpad McQuack. Uh, that's not the actual title of this. This is a action rom-com. Directed by Edgar Wright. The cast includes George Michael Bluth, Ramona Flowers, Anna Pitch Perfect Kendrick, Grumpy Cat, Captain America, Psychic Powers, courtesy of Ray Palmer, Anne Cronenberg, young school-age Wes Anderson, Igby, and Nick from The Office. I watched this movie on Netflix. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Netflix. All right, let's get our discussion on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World started with a little synopsis. Go ahead, Joey. Scott Pilgrim is an ordinary young man in his early 20s dating a high schooler. He is currently between jobs and spends his time hanging out with his friends and playing the bass in a small rock band in Toronto, Canada. One day, he has a dream about a girl on rollerblades with neon pink hair. Then he meets her in real life. Scott becomes obsessed and finds out her name is Ramona Flowers and that she delivers packages for Amazon. He harasses her until she agrees to go on a date with him. Scott is completely smitten. He quickly breaks up with his high school girlfriend to more completely pursue Ramona. Meanwhile, his band is entering a Battle of the Bands competition. During their band's performance, Scott is confronted by someone named Matthew Patel, who challenges him to a fight. They battle with a lot of hand-to-hand and mystic power nonsense until Scott defeats Patel and he bursts into coins. Later, Ramona explains. Ramona has seven evil exes, people she has previously dated. In order to continue dating, Scott must confront and defeat all seven of these people or die in the process. Scott is rattled but determined and decides to continue on the journey. He fights a movie star named Lucas Lee, a vegan with psychic powers, Ramona's goth GF with teleporting powers, and two synth-playing Asian twins. In the process, Scott becomes more and more jaded toward the constant onslaught of villains. He and Ramona fight, and the next time he sees her, she is with the final evil ex, Gideon. Gideon is also some sort of powerful producer, and he gives Scott's band a gig. But Scott quits in protest. He vows to win Ramona back. Scott enters Gideon's secret underground nightclub and challenges him to a fight. It doesn't go well, and Scott is taken out. However, he happens to have an extra life that he uses to try again. He faces Gideon again, this time defeating him. Ramona removes the computer chip that was keeping her loyal to Gideon, and the two ride off into the night together at last so that is scott pilgrim versus the world in a nutshell let's get started with our pros and cons joey what did you like about this movie just incredible visuals um it has a really unique feel there's no other movie that kind of feels the the way that scott pilgrim does um amazing cinematography editing and directing all around technically this movie is absolutely perfect um not your typical rom-com. It follows sort of a unique structure altogether. And Scott Pilgrim and Michael Sarah, who plays my, uh, Scott Pilgrim, are interesting protagonists, I think. Uh, interesting uh, lead uh, roles or lead uh, actors. Um, okay. So I think that makes it, uh, it gives this movie another feeling that is unusual. Okay, okay. Um, I totally echo everything you said about like the production of this movie. Incredible directing and editing, ambitious cinematography, great music, masterful transitions. Like if I had to pinpoint one thing that especially blew me away, it was the way that these scenes transi- transition oh my gosh. between each Absolutely other. Absolutely mind blowing. Every single one. Yeah, yeah. Never an opportunity missed. It's incredible. It's yeah, and it's yeah, it's always unique. It's not the same kind of transition every time. Like they just it's so creative. Fun action sequences. I loved the fights with the exes. Notable cast, surprisingly notable, I think. Uh, unique <laughs> premise that feels original and uh, effective use of the video game motif. And then finally, 
it's funny. Yeah. It's it's really funny. I can't, I can't overstate that. It, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it made me laugh. Now let's talk cons. What did you not like about Scott Pilgrim versus the World? This movie is famously deeply problematic from its very conception. Uh, it's sexist. It, it it borders on homophobic. It's sort of it's in this weird like place between like like back when like you know calling someone gay or someone being gay was kind of a joke. You know, um, and although I think it doesn't really go over the line, it's still like there's still a thing. It's still makes like you feel that, uneasy. It makes you feel uneasy, and it's still like, is this coming from a a good place? You know, I don't. If you just watched it today, you're like, oh, maybe it's just you know they're they're making a lot of jokes, but like, I don't know. There's this little like tickle in the back of your head. Mm. Um, the script and the story and the acting are all pretty weak, uh, detrimental, de- detrimentally weak. I would say. What about you? What did you not like about this? I, I kind of echo the same feelings. Like, this is classic manic pixie dream girl situation. Uh, Ramona Flowers is so uh, not in a complete person. You know, <laughs> she is just there to inspire Scott to, like, realize how great, like, life could be. And, like, she just shows up and automatically is in love with him, too. And I, I, we can talk more about that. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not comfortable with some of the conclusions this movie is trying to make me draw. And um, that sucks because I really love everything else about this movie. Like, <laughs> yes. I love watching this movie, but, like, thinking about this movie is a problem. Uh, which <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's really talk about it. Let's so, get into our overall. So, do you want to talk about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl? Because I kind of disagree with you on, your, on that. Really? Uh, yes. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to wait till later? Let's wait till later. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that I used to really like this movie. I really love this movie. And I still do. Um, there's still a lot to like about it. There's the creative visuals, the use of onomatopoeia uh, to show different aspects of the uh, elements of the world, uh, split screens, visual metaphor. It just shows how adept Edgar Wright and his post-production team are at the medium of film. It is, it is truly a fun ride with so many visual gags, incredible transitions, and powerful set pieces. This movie has the same feel as a Wes Anderson stop animation movie with all the details are important. Nothing is taken for granted. Every corner of the screen is being used and it's being used really well. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I love the editing in this movie. There's so much to look at. It's never boring. Like I said, the transitions are just insanely good yes. uh, like the words on the screen there's so much to look at you will got to pause and read the little descriptions of each character that's like just little yeah. tiny jokes in there too uh, and then like i said like the action sequences the special effects they're so just easy to look at um and like beyond that the eight bit motif that you know, you think maybe you're in danger of being overwhelmed by, especially like in the beginning, they have the eight bit version of the universal theme song. I think that they use it where they need to use it uh, so that it wasn't it was it wasn't too heavily applied and it didn't become exhausting by the end of the movie. It's super important in the way that movie is resolved. So I think that they did just the right amount where it was a motif and not more than that. Um, so, yeah, I, I big praise for the movie in that aspect. Yeah, and I think that helps it stand the test of time too because some of that some of the special effects don't look quite as good as they did years ago but because it's all so cartoony and video game ish you know i think that lends itself to a certain like this is the aesthetic it's not trying to look realistic so right, um, right. that that helps it's not you know become dated definitely um, the movie isn't afraid to experiment with the method of telling a story and its mix of real life and fancy elements force the audience to engage with it in the same way people engage with musicals. Does it really matter what's real? Is it, it's all metaphor. The line is always blurring. Um, I admit that this can sometimes be jarring and maybe even frustrating. Uh, but so what do you think about that? I don't think this movie ever forces you to come to terms with what is actually happening on screen. They, yeah. There's never a point where it's like, oh, that just happened. And now, like, how does that affect the real life version? Like, this was a scene that was all done in metaphors. And now we're back in reality. The, they never put any hard lines on that stuff. Everything is always kind of cartoony and fake. And it doesn't matter if Scott is really fighting these guys or if he's like, 
combating the like problems that come with someone's past when you start dating them. It works right. with as both at the same time. You can believe that he's really grinding at 300 kilometers per hour. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you, you can, you can, it's just as good if you believe that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's not concerned with the diegesis of what's real or not, right? It's everything is everything is kind of tied together. This is the reality of this world is that sometimes you have these supernatural fights and some and it's, like, it's not like Scott is ever established. I mean, he's a he's a dweeb and like a nerd, but it's never established that he's not good at fighting necessarily, sure. right? And so that that's a skill that he happens to have and that he can display and pull out whenever he needs to. Um and the consequences of being killed or hurt or something is like not important it's it's uh put to the side you know and I, I like the way that you put that about how they never force you to reconcile it which i think um is is how you're able to, to suspend your disbelief so effectively throughout the movie yeah uh, which is a, a really a testament to just the craft of the way that this was made um where, again like it's it's an incredible movie to watch I totally agree. It never, by never making you confront that, it, I think it's not frustrating at all because as soon as the room that they were in became super long, as soon as, soon as they started playing music, I was like, okay, this isn't supposed to be realistic. Right. This is, they're going to uh, indulge in the like exaggerated reality, which is so much fun. Okay, so now that we've now that we've established the, the things we like about this movie, all of that incredible craft work is doing a ton of heavy lifting. However, because of the other core elements of the movie, the story, the acting, and the themes, the, the, these lack in so much like depth. They, they they take away so much that this other these other elements have to lift so hard. And I think this movie actually has one fatal flaw, which is of course Ramona Flowers. But we'll get to her in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, the the movie really spoke to me when I was a college freshman and I had fantasies of having a girlfriend. Uh, today, Scott Pilgrim's flaws are a lot more apparent. The acting is really melodramatic and normally very talented actors all come across very hammy. Uh, this this plays into the whole fantasy slash video game aesthetic, but the the movie doesn't display a this movie doesn't display a quirky heart to it, despite the context implying that it should. Um, it really does not have the depth that you would kind of want to see from these characters. Although you do have some. You know, nice moments between maybe like Ramona and, and Scott, the characters don't have enough depth to them for that to be something that really grabs me. It, it's so, um, it's, it really is surface level when it comes to just the characters and their emotions. Um, it's all like, oh, she broke up with me. Like, oh, now I can break up with her or whatever. It's, it's all very, uh, I don't know. You get the sense that there's a lot of history in this town from all these people, but not necessarily that uh, the... <laughs> Their emotions are well-developed, you know? Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, I think that lends itself to more criticism because, again, um, this movie kind of has this quirky kind of, you know, fantasy feel to it, um, but it doesn't have the heart to match that, I don't think. M Michael Sarah, I think, isn't a bad actor, uh, but his nonchalance and general dickishness don't bring you into the movie. He's closer to a blank slate or a mirror, even though I think Scott Pilgrim, the character, is actually a really compelling protagonist. Scott is clearly imperfect. Other people describe him uncharitably. Uh, for example, Kim calls him evil in this one clip, which I will play for you right now. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? I mean, are you really happy or are you really evil? Like, do I have ulterior motives or something? I'm offended, Kim. Wounded even? Hurt, Kim. You? Hurt? Just calling out his, like, aloofness and his inability to recognize other people's feelings in this moment. <laughs> also, you notice the subtle, like, little bit of uh, sound effects in the background where uh, young Neil is playing on the computer and yeah. he, he hits an error as soon as Scott... Uh, um, recognizes that Kim is making fun of him. <laughs> um, there's also, you know, Ramona calls him an ass, uh, and then uh, when Wallace, his roommate, meets uh, Knives, his high school girlfriend, for the first time, he tells her to run in this kind of weird moment. Um, here, here is this one. You're too good for him. Run. <laughs> It's a, it's so strange because like it, Wallace is a, a a very like melodramatic kind of character. He's he's very 
um, kind of flamboyant in his in the, his presentation, necessarily, like you might say. Um, when he meets Scott at the at the uh, high school and he meets Nyjah for the first time, you know they're just kind of joking, and Scott's like, "Okay, Wallace, you need to leave now so that we can you know go on our date, whatever." And and then Wallace becomes very serious, and that's when he says this line, and the music changes too. And it's not clear if this is a joke or not. Scott treats it like a joke, where he's nervously chuckling, but. You know, maybe Wallace knows something that we don't at this moment, in which you know, uh, Knives is uh, in danger of of trying to be with Scott, and Scott is only going to ruin her. Um, I think I have. I mean, that's true, isn't it? Though, like Scott yeah. has, uh, you know, this uh, chaotic, uh, destructive history of of uh, being really right. heartless. Right, and, to and these speaking women. of that history, I have one more quote. I can't believe you asked Ramona out after I specifically told you not to do that. How are you doing that with your mouth? Never mind how I'm doing it. What do you have to say for yourself? Can I get a caramel macchiato? You know what? Maybe it's high time you took a look in the mirror before you wreak havoc on another girl. Me? Wreak havoc? And speaking of which, I hear the girl that kicked your heart in the ass is walking the streets of Toronto again. Yeah, so, I mean, Scott is sort of a heartbreak, like, you know, a heartthrob, heartbreaker uh, in this town where he's dated all these girls and then kind of left them in the dust. Uh, in one way or the other, and then they're still around having to deal with it. And Kim is the perfect example of that. Um, so he's, he, but he's completely oblivious to this right. fact, right? Um, which makes him quite a bit of a dick. And, and like all of these things that they are said are kind of off the cuff, and Scott never takes them seriously. But the the quote that I just played is, uh, ties into the greater his greater arc in which he realizes that he has something to answer for, and also that he has something to be proud of as well. Um, and Scott does display a lot of that poor behavior throughout. He becomes obsessed with someone while dating someone else. He basically follows uh, Ramona around and bothers her, bothers her until she agrees to go out with him. He doesn't show any compassion for anyone other than himself. He refuses to believe his actions or words can hurt people. Uh, he's just completely self-obsessed. Uh, but that's what was interesting about Scott is that the movie tries to make him look bad. I mean, I definitely feel bad for him. He, you know, the language of film makes you care for your main character uh but it, it seems like some you know some of this is bad luck but i also believe that he has put himself in this situation and that he only, really only has himself to blame and he is called out over and over and over again for being a dick which i think actually lends itself to his redemption once he realizes that you know realizes his mistakes apologizes for him and then gains the power of self-respect quite literally um <laughs> that's a satisfying conclusion for this for our hero here because he, even though he had all these flaws, right? He's coming to realize what those are and account for them, um, which is, you know, a lot, it can be uh, something that you don't see very often. It's uh, something that uh, is satisfying to watch. Uh, he sees the chaos that he's responsible for and he owns it and he admits that he's wrong. Um, and I actually get the sense that he really does grow because of this uh, realization. Um, and he stops defining himself just by his relationships and is interested in becoming himself. Um, yeah, so well, I don't know, because I, I think that that's definitely a, um, a good way to end his arc to kind of subvert what the entire movie has been about, which has been him pursuing, uh, Ramona flowers and then turn it into kind of a self-actualization journey where he it realizes like really that the, uh, like his relationships with women have been more or less a symptom of like a larger problem. But at the same time. I feel like when he just says, I'm fighting Gideon for me, I'm like, but you're also still doing it to get to for, Ramona. Yeah. Like, I feel like you're just saying that, but your, your motivation hasn't actually changed all that much. Like in the end, he still ends up with Ramona, which seemed like his goal the whole time. So it, to me, it kind of felt like a having your cake and eating it too type sure. situation where it, maybe it would have been more powerful if he decided that Ramona wasn't the what he wanted and that he used it as a chance to be like I need to be more myself before I can commit like my problem is I don't know myself and I should be more complete before I go on breaking more hearts yeah I think that's definitely true that's the conclusion that you hope to reach but that's not the that's not how it ends you know right um and divorcing this movie from its ending sort of uh, you know undercuts the next big problem the biggest problem with it but it's uh I really appreciate the effort and it really is um, 
it's really interesting to, to watch this movie and see a flawed character actually grow um, in such a meaningful way, even if it doesn't result in something uh, that we would like to see. Sure. No, and I really did enjoy that subversion because I'll be honest, I thought he was just going to defeat seven X's in a row and win the uh, get the grill. Yeah. And that was going to be the end of the movie. And Scott Pilgrim, basically, Scott Pilgrim gets the grill should be the name of the movie. Right. uh, If that was how it went, but that's not how it went. Okay, so how does he get there, though, right? How does the arc work, right? Ramona Flowers has become the face of hollow female characters. At first, she seems interesting. She rides around in rollerblades, she changes her hair every week and a half, and she seems aloof and cool and desirable. But ultimately, she's paper thin. And although she is uh, present throughout the movie, she's just a goal to be reached. She is a prize to be won. And her autonomy is completely irrelevant. By the end of the movie, in fact, she's being completely controlled uh, by someone, uh, completely removing any autonomy that she had, not that she had much to begin with. Um, and I have a quote for you, or you have a quote for me, really. Right. I'm sorry. I'm not usually like this. Hey, don't worry. I don't even know what I'm like anymore. And this is about an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. And after she said, I don't even know what I'm like anymore. I was like, yeah, me either. (laughs) (laughs) Who even are you? Yeah, we still don't know. You have a couple of attributes that make you like, quote unquote, like quirky and unique. But we still don't know you beyond your past in your relationship. Yeah. Um, And to go by kind of more on what you said about like the brainwashing thing. I hated that. Oh that my was, god, I hate that too. Like the the computer chip, it's like so basically Ramona was obsessed with Gideon, but he he ignored her, so she left, which got his attention. So right. now he wants her. So they say like he, she says he has a way of getting in her head. And then yeah. she shows an actual chip on the back of her head. It's, I know. The, the movie is not subtle in any way, right? I, I, I'm ashamed to admit that I was like, oh, man. Like, when I heard about the whole, like, a number thing, or how all the X's had numbers around them and stuff, I was like, it totally blew my mind. It's like, oh, I never noticed that they were like, he was wearing a three on his shirt, and he's yeah. the third X. And I was like, man, this movie is so smart. And, but, like, watching it again, <laughs> like, more critically, you're like, oh, my God. There's nothing subtle about this, you know? As, as, a, as, a, as a subtle as a knife through your chest or a giant <laughs> sword you might say um no because yeah. scott goes that is he goes that is evil and i was like yeah that is evil that you would make this a major plot point you know like that is <laughs> that is unforgivable and uh yeah so like i don't have a great feeling about the character of ramona flowers like she has absolutely no personality outside of her love life and dating history she's completely defined by her relationships um and I don't know. This is, I feel like it's a good time to bring up like the manic pixie dream girl type thing, because as I understand it, like the manic pixie dream girl is supposed to be kind of this like perfect woman who kind of just appears in a man's life and is kind of the secret to him unlocking his own self-actualization. And the manic pixie dream girl never has to actually be a complete person. She's just a, uh, like a source of inspiration in this person's life. Uh, but really she's just a tool for him to progress himself without ever needing her to have any agency or personality of her own. And I yeah, feel like so, that's what Ramona Flowers is to Scott in this movie. I feel like, okay, I feel like you have summed up the trope well, the Mary Pacey Dream Girl. I don't, I don't think I, I would correct you on that, but I would argue that that is even too much for Ramona Flowers. That oh she's God. not even a, a manic pixie dream girl because oh. she's uh, she's even thinner than that. She's literally like Princess Peach. You know, she's literally the thing at the end of the of the mission that you win. You know, she's a trophy or a bunch of uh, a billion dollars or something. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, because even though, again, it's so weird. She's present throughout the rest of the whole movie. Her, the actress that plays her uh, is in the movie <laughs> in many scenes. <laughs> but Ramona Flowers is not a character in this story. You know, and uh, I, I, was, I watched a video um, from this YouTube channel called The Take that was talking about this trope, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope. It's actually, it has an interesting history. And... Um, one of the things that they compared it to was muses in like uh, old, like older work, like theater or other works, um, where there's a there's this kind of otherworldly being 
that comes down and disposes some sort of uh, wisdom or or gives the the character some sort of motivation in order to uh, solve whatever you know puzzle or problem they're in. Um, but it's always like they're not part of this world, right? They're something else entirely. Maybe they're you know a woman, or maybe they're very beautiful, but they're not attainable, right? Whereas the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is that is kind of an embodiment of that same idea, but they are attainable. They're a person in the real world. Whereas um, Ramona Flowers is is not really that. You know, she sort of uh, she does uh, send Scott on this journey, but she's not dispensing any sort of wisdom or giving him any sort of like. Uh, like life lessons, which is something that is, I, from what I understand, integral to the Manic Pixie Dream Girls like formula. It's the uh, she is just something that she, he wants, you yeah, know, yeah. And, that, and that's the the extent of it. Um, yeah, that's a really it, good point. That is a really good point because it, it's almost awkward how she does nothing about these exes that show up. She's kind of just like, well, you know, I yes. have exes. You know, that's it. She doesn't even really. She kind of explains the reason why they're her ex, like just to give them a little bit of lore. But it wasn't like uh, the reason that, like, you know, uh, Matthew Patel has to fight you is because like such and such thing happened in our relationship. And here's the conclusion you should draw from that. Right. Like, you you should be this type of boyfriend in, in a relationship to avoid ending up like Matthew. Instead, yes. it's like, uh, he was my ex. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's like they're, if they're a representative of some sort of baggage, that is not explained in any sort of way, right? Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is perfect. It's like, oh, you know, when you're dating someone, right, you realize what you like and what you don't like. And there are certain people that in your head become the embodiment of that thing, like that you don't like. Right. And so you actively avoid it. That's something that people do all the time. But, and that's kind of the representation, that's the golden you know, form that this movie is based on, but it's not uh, what it's made of. Dang, you know? I'm seeing it now where it would be like <laughs> the seven ways to like be a better boyfriend. And right. like each guy is an embodiment of like, yeah, how he's, to a, he's not a caricature, be a good but he's, yeah. he's not a real character, but he's, he is, you know, exactly what you're saying. Like he is a, um, emblematic of this thing. You know, he, he's become the, uh, like the epitome of this bad attribute um, right. in which Scott has to defeat by doing something different than that. Instead, it's all, let's punch him as hard as we can and hope that works. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's literally nothing more to it than that. Right. It's literally but just rock him, sock him. Beyond that, you never even hear how Ramona feels about the situation. You know, she's just like, well, this is the reality of it. You know, I didn't set this up, you know, but ultimately like, there's this league of evil exes and like, you're just going to have to deal with it. You know, it, it, and she does nothing to mitigate that. She does nothing to intervene. You know, she never says this is stupid. You know, I can't believe that they're making us do this. This is not, you know, this is not what I want. Right. It's just, huh? Yeah, I guess this is how it is, you know? She does engage in the battle with Roxy Richter, but again, oh, God, it's like, what? what the hell is that? You know, it's like, oh, we can't have a guy fight a girl. They're like, what is kind of, it's like, <laughs> oh, we only have, like, and then at the end, Knives and, and Ramona are fighting each other, right? It's never Scott and, and uh, against, like, one of the girls. And then, of course, you know, Scott and Knives team up to fight Gideon, but Gideon is evil, so he's allowed to fight a girl, right? Right, it, right. Like, oh... Uh, what kind of sexist bullshit is this? Like, you can't fight. And Roxy's, like, super tough, too. She's, like, she can freaking, like, apparate, you know? Like a freaking <laughs> Death Eater. And she's got that whip, you know? Gosh. And then she she's killed by, or, like, destroyed or defeated by giving her an orgasm. Come on, man. It's so... Yeah. Oh, God. I did I, not like I, that I at all. I fucking hate that. That's <laughs> Mae Whitman, by the way. I didn't know if you know that. But that's that's another... This is right. the second movie watched in a row with Mae Whitman. Right. In it. It's, uh... Yeah, it's it's definitely disappointing because it's right there. It feels like just one like <laughs> one thought process away from being actually really impactful. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. It's incredible. No, I mean Ramona Flowers is the Lilu of this movie in yeah. that everything else around it, everything surrounding it, is incredible. There's so much to love about it, but there is one thing about it that is so integral to it that kills it. Yeah. And tanks the whole thing you know it's the it's the it's the torpedo shot or it yeah it's the proton torpedo shot down the exhaust port that destroys the death nice. star that is scott pilgrim because nice. otherwise <laughs> it's impenetrable it's it's an amazing movie but it has this flaw that's so integral to it that um it, it's impossible to avoid and it that sucks it sucks a lot
I, yeah. it makes me upset thinking about how much I want to tell people how much I love this movie. And yet the implication of that is not good. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And you've convinced me. I think you're right that she falls short of the manic pixie dream girl right. trope, which in itself is not a good thing to strive for anyways. Sure. But the the, the take, the sorry, the, uh, the YouTube channel, the take, the, what they argue is that the manic pixie dream girl is simply a formula that was overused. It wasn't even necessarily that it was that bad of a thing. It became so. It just became instead of writing a full, fully fleshed female character, they're just like, oh, we'll just pull this thing out of the hat, and we'll we'll use this formula, and that's going to work perfectly. And people will think we wrote a good female character, but instead we just you know followed the rules or whatever. Okay. Um, well, I and, don't know because yeah. I feel like the manic pixie dream girl really it's like problematic because it gives men this idea that women will solve all their problems when you like you find your girlfriend finally and you're like, okay, now life was going to suddenly start making sense because sure. manic pixie dream girl is in my life uh which of course 500 days of summer does a really good job of rebuking that idea right which is uh, which yeah. is another thing that they say in that video is that it's actually really easy to get around this and 500 days of summer is a perfect example of that where you have the you start with that trope you start with the manic pixie dream girl and then you you use that as a jumping off point to tell a better story and to tell a better lesson off of it right. because it is like it is a pretty strong foundation it's just not adequate on its own and if you use it in spite or instead of writing an actual character you're gonna you know you're doing yourself a disservice and your movie a disservice well so. i uh yeah no and i i think that's that's well put um it does i think i agree with you that it does kind of push this movie over the edge where i'm like i'm not gonna tell people like you gotta watch scott pilgrim like as much as i love the edgar wright directing yeah it's i'll tell them watch a different edgar wright movie i think <laughs> right uh because there's still you can get a lot of stuff similar to this i don't know if you can yeah it's nothing is quite as wild as this though you yeah, know a, yeah. they, a lot of those other ones have really great transitions but there are a lot more tame this one is so uh, creative like when he answers the phone and it's envy and because yes. he's like it was right there in that scene where he's in the kitchen with wallace and wallace is telling him you need to tell her you love her which i was like this is horrible like i was getting ready to be like oh criticism of like wallace's definition of love but then <laughs> wallace was like uh because i need i'm hoping that she'll call you back and you can move out so i don't feel bad about evicting you and i was like oh okay he was bullshitting <laughs> the whole time and that's funny but then the phone rings and and he runs over to get it and it's and you hear envy's voice and wallace is like oh no and then the background drops out and scott is alone in the dark and it's just oh it's so good <laughs> it's so cool man uh, oh so, my gosh yeah oh I yeah and when and when she shows up, when Brie Larson shows up in the coffee shop and she's standing in front of her poster, the life-size poster of herself, amazing. Oh, my God, it's so good. Oh, yeah. my gosh. This is, oh, and, the, like, the way that bands matter so much, like, they, <laughs> they are, uh, like, playing in, uh, like, uh, the music is so good. Even those guys. Uh, Crashing like, the boys. Crashing the boys. They, like, their songs are so <laughs> short and straight to the point, but I loved it. Uh, so, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, so that's another thing that I, I kind of want to be positive about. Was like I do love the characters in this movie, from Wallace to young Neil. I felt yeah. like everybody brought a lot of personality. It felt like, I, I think that your criticism is spot on that they 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 don't go very deep but they feel like they exist they feel like they live in this world and that there's potentially lore behind them even yeah. if there's not um and everybody gets a little bit of a chance in the spotlight to show off who they are and their little character quirks to say something funny yeah the uh, band which, members are, are fleshed out pretty good i think you know each of them not, they don't have like a necessarily arc but they all kind of have their own insecurities that come to the front forefront that yeah, uh, get, get resolved by the end, which is which is cool. And they play, they do so like they play off each other so well. Yeah. I, you just love to hear them talk to each other. Um, and I, so I really like that. And I especially loved all the exes. And that was, I mean, if you look at some of the promotional material for this movie, it does heavily emphasize the exes, like one through seven, yeah. which is really cool. Uh, and and I just want to point out some of the ones that I really loved. Like um, first off, like Matthew Patel's like really lame like musical number with the <laughs> fireballs was so bizarre. <laughs> and hilarious like i thought that was such a great way to get you into it i yeah. mean this goes back to talking about like whether or not this is real like 
this is during a show. Matthew literally crashes through the wall flying. It's like throw out all like need to try to figure out what's quote unquote really going on. They just let you have fun with it. And I think like doing that first is a really good idea to kind of just leave that question behind completely. I know. And he's interesting too, because he's got like mysterious mystic powers goth demon chicks that like he can summon to to be his background dancers it's so funny and then so moving on from him to lucas lee who was the skateboarder turned movie star um and of course he's played with chris evans so he's so like he looks the part oh my god (laughs) did you i paused on some of the uh ads that wallace was looking at for the movies that lucas lee has been in so one of them was just action doctor which (laughs) is like so lazy (laughs) and then there's another one that was like clearly kind of like a uh like a romance movie like it it, it looked like the cover of one of those uh romance novels that you see in the pharmacy and it was called let's hope there's a heaven and then like the cool like subtitle was kiss me i'm dying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then uh another one was thrill to be here and they all had like really in-depth kind of like nice looking uh, artwork done so it looked like a real movie uh which again this is like an example of like every screen has so much to look at um but th- i felt like this was probably my favorite battle with the exes it's it, it's tied between this and todd for me uh, but yeah no this one's really good <laughs> and he walks out of the trailer and they play the uh, universal theme yes. to him cracking his neck <laughs> Which, and then he yeah and then he brings he, he's like he's so heavily into like the two theme right he got the stunt doubles he says it's gonna take me two minutes to kick your ass and he points at him with two fingers <laughs> oh my god it's so the way that it, yeah because it the way that they seamlessly i don't know like they play so hard on the movie set yes. theme. it's so funny like especially <laughs> the way that they've had the first stunt double where he's like walking away from scott and scott's like hey and then the guy's like whatever you know like he likes, <laughs> like waves his hand at him like he's done with him and he turns it around and he's like looks like you're seeing double <laughs> oh man and then they all fight each other and he loves his stunt doubles too oh, it was yeah. just everything about that oh and then the, the part where he's like you really don't know about the the evil league of x's and he's like no it's like oh Okay, well, then no hard feelings. Let's go get a beer. He's like, really? Oh, okay. And he punches him in the face, and he's like, you really are a good actor. (laughs) He believed him. Uh, And then the way that they animate the grinding at the end. I mean, this whole sequence was amazing. I'm gushing here, but like, it was so... Chris Evans killed it. And uh, that was a really creative idea, I think, that separates him. I mean, they all feel pretty unique to me. But this one especially, I was like, this is very well No, this one's really good. Uh, I love it so much. And then the like Todd Ingram like battle at the Demon Head or class at Demon Head show. Uh, he was like his whole thing was being a vegan, which was I feel like making a vegan joke is kind of played out, but it probably wasn't in 2010 when they made yeah, this movie. Yeah, no, 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 it is. I mean, it's still kind of novel. But uh, my favorite part is when uh, the I guess Steve or Stephen the the band leader is like, I've always wondered. Why does like becoming a vegan or like abstaining from milk and dairy give you psychic powers? You know, like it's just a known thing. Everyone knows that vegans have psychic powers. So. <laughs> and then this one had this one featured the bass battle, yes. which I thought was really epic. Like the again bringing in this whole music uh, motif as well yes. was really cool. Seeing like the d d d d d d d d d d d just. Um, just awesome. So I, I really enjoyed that as, as well. We already talked a little bit about Roxy Richter. Not my favorite one, although I did love the Ramona Flowers like downward kick where she like lifts her yeah. leg really way. Like that was really uh, cool looking. But yeah, I didn't. I definitely didn't like the way it ended and the whole like Scott can't fight a girl thing. Yeah, we we covered that. Um, then we have the Katayangi twins. Am I yeah, saying I that so. right? Uh, this one was, I think, a cool concept, but not nearly as well executed as some of it the other ones. I don't know. This one doesn't make any sense to me. Wouldn't you date both of them at the same time or date one and then the other? You know? I like, think the implication was that she dated both at the same time. But, like, as a twin, you know, you got to have more self-respect than that. That's you know? so weird. Yeah. 
like I guess I don't know. Maybe we're not supposed to think about it, but yeah, I don't. You know <laughs> I, I mean? honestly didn't think about it that much. <laughs> it's yeah, no. The, after honestly, after Todd's thing, it really drops off. You know, yeah, Ro- yeah. Roxy is is okay. I I like her, like her whole her whole look. I like uh, I like Mae Whitman a lot, and I like the fight that happens. I mean, it's it's interesting having like the hammer and then the 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 um, the belt spear thing that she has. Um, and like bringing Ramona into it to give her at least a little bit of agency is kind of nice. I was but, excited because it felt yeah. like now it was like Ramona's like, this is stupid. I'm going to participate and try to end this. But that wasn't really it was so that Scott didn't have to punch a girl. Exactly. Yeah. So like putting that aside, you know, there's a lot that I liked about Roxy. It's not nearly as strong as Lucas Lee or or Todd. Um, and and then yeah, the twins are the weakest ones of all. I mean, it really felt like they were phoning it in at that point. Yeah, I, especially because they are two in one already. Yes. So it, it, yeah, it, it really would. It was kind of like I mean, it really almost peaked with you know two or three at that point. Yeah, no, know? totally. Like, and then at that point, it was like downhill from there. And then that was it. I guess he was running out of X's that for Ramona to fight or Ramona to have dated. So I don't know. Yeah, it no, I I definitely felt. I mean, again, I liked kind of the idea and there were cool moments in it where they first get hit by the music and they kind of flip like they yeah. fly backwards like that's cool but it was over like that and it felt kind of too easy they were just like we're just gonna rock even harder yeah and we're gonna that play will... better and then yeah. the other guys just have synth synthesizers so. right and our monster will destroy your dragons and okay whatever <laughs> like i we have to get to the end of this movie somehow yeah and then uh well and then finally gideon which gideon kind of feels like even though he's number seven he, he kind of feels outside of the rest of these because his battle was a lot more uh built on the ideas that the movie is trying to push as opposed to just being another like set piece with like specific jokes for that scenario right yeah, and, and that one is good, too. I really like the fight with Gideon, especially since he beats Scott twice almost, right? Yeah. Um, and he he does, I mean, he's an interesting villain, too, because he plays nice at the beginning. It's only when Scott, like, explicitly challenges him that he's like, all right, I, I guess we've got to fight now. Um, and, yeah, he totally holds his own. Um, and he becomes, like, it turns out that he's kind of been manipulating things from the from the background the whole time. He set up the league. He's been mind-controlling Ramona. So, yeah. Yeah, it is uh, in the whole. This is where the video game theme really comes through in the end, which I thought was again earned, well executed, all all the good things. It was uh, like the one up that I mean, I'm not exactly sure that he earned a second life necessarily where he literally just says like, I'm getting a life, but having him redo that was a lot of fun. Cause he yeah. like did the exact same dialogue exchanges as well that, but he changed it the second time. Um, all that stuff I thought was, was really good. Uh, it made me enjoy the end boss battle at least. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, just a couple more things I wanted to point out that I, I really enjoyed like uh just specific moments so komeu who is played by the guy who plays nick the it guy in the office like he he plays like a bunch of bit roles in a lot of stuff so you probably recognize his face but like when uh, scott shows him it's like she has hair like this and then he's like oh ramona flowers freaking hilarious like it's a terrible drawing i don't know why but his his superpower is that he knows everyone right so another example of like not needing it to be real like in this his, world he literally just knows everyone his name is a uh, nelson franklin that's the actor's name by the way nelson franklin yeah and um and then yeah another, yeah and then another great bit was the seinfeld bit oh my god i love that <laughs> the baseline he walks in and everybody claps and then uh and then also i loved when he bestowed the title of neil on young Neil. Yes. I thought that was amazing. Hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the only other thing I want to talk about, because we've talked about pretty much everything else, is um, there's an alternate ending to this movie. I don't know exactly what this is. I don't know if this was shown. Was this the original ending and then focus groups, you know, said that all oh, this was change it or something, or if this was just included in the uh, uh, DVD extras or, or what. But they filmed an actual alternate ending to this movie uh which we just watched and we can put a link to it um and this is basically the instead of him being with ramona he chooses to be with knives instead um which is a interesting choice so what do you feel about that how do you what do you think the ending which, which ending do you think is stronger the, the where he ends up with knives or he ends up with ramona 
I didn't like that he ended up with knives in the yeah. alternate ending. I was hoping he would end up with no one because I felt like that would be the ultimate like yeah a, a learning moment of, for him right of self actualization right and self respect he, is saying I'm not ready to date anyone i need to you know work on myself do, right yeah and and so because guess what knives is still 17 so <laughs> i we're back at literally square one where we have a problem with scott dating a minor maybe seven i don't even know what the 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 dating ages in, in canada is but personally <laughs> i think that 17 is too young if you're what was scott 22, 22. or 23 yeah. so don't feel great about that, but everything else in that alternate ending, I felt like short of dating knives or walking away with knives, I thought was way better than what is in the actual movie. Um, like letting Ramona move on without him and yeah. maybe like with the promise that she can eventually move on as well. Like she can um, go on without having the evil League of Exes weigh her down. Right. Um, like that's her, the end of her arc as well. I think that's a lot more satisfying than having uh, them leave together and to, you know, be in love and, uh, you know, have your cake and eat it too. become sure. self-actualized and also get the grill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I like the ending with knives. I feel like that it's the reason why I feel like it's strong is because he, he kind of realizes that what he had with knives was more real than what he had with Ramona. And that like, knives offers more in that relationship as well and that like this this pursuit of going after ramona certainly taught him taught scott a lot about himself but ultimately like she's not really that interested in him and like it, it's not really you know he's he never really took into account what how she felt about the situation and he kind of sort of made the whole thing worse uh by being there at all so um but i don't know i i, I like the idea that he could that knives, as knives sort of grew through the story too, you know, she becomes a lot more um, fierce. <laughs> she becomes a lot more like uh, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, but like a lot more determined, maybe. Um, and that kind of you know makes her feel like she's grown a bit, which you know maybe that means that uh, they're, they've grown more toward each other. Where Scott's grown more to realize what he's what he's what his strengths are, and Knives has grown to become a stronger person on her own. I don't know. Um, maybe See, I'm reaching I, there. No, no. I think you, what you're looking for there would exist if Knives wasn't a literal child. Sure. That's my, that's where I can't really, cause if Knives was just maybe younger than Scott, but maybe she was 20 or something. And the reason Scott didn't want to be with her is cause she was immature or something. Uh, like she's not like, then he comes back to her eventually after she's grown or something. I could get on board with that. But, yeah. but what I read into the beginning was Scott is dating her because dating her is easy because she's a child. She's literally right. not mentally like mature enough to be able to see some of his bullshit. And when Scott meets a real woman like Ramona, she sees right through his Pac-Man bullshit pickup lines. It's not as easy with, a, a, an adult you right. know so uh, that f that setup really undercuts in any ending where he decides actually dating a child is like the move for scott pilgrim so yeah i don't know i just also feel like that just, it just makes me feel icky from the beginning having <laughs> that at all so maybe i like, maybe it's no, just, this I is a good point like, they don't have to do that you know yeah it, they literally could do anything they don't have to do that <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah all right, I got one more thing to talk about. Okay. This, this is on our cool Easter egg section. So I, I didn't read the comic book that this movie is based off of, but I did watch those YouTube videos, so I'm basically an expert. Wow. Um, <laughs> but w one interesting fact about it, uh, they're, they're talking about the differences between the, the stories. Um, one of the things they said was that after the first volume, which I believe is like the first part, the first section, I think there's seven volumes, uh, one for each X, I think, uh, of uh, Scott Pilgrim, it got picked up for a movie deal, and then they were writing the movie at the same time as they were writing the comic book. And actually, the I don't think the movie was released before the comic book ended, but the screenplay was finished before the last chapter was written. And that was actually written sort of in response, um, sort of uh, uh, inspired by the ending of the movie. So it's the, the, the comic book started spawned the movie the movie was finished writing and that helped spawn the ending of the comic book uh which is interesting 
um, and not normally how that works. So yeah, uh, it's all out there. Yeah, I think there's also a video game, and uh, of course there's music too um, from the movie and from the from the video games too. So it's a fully fledged media empire of Scott Pilgrim out there. Oh, definitely. And the aesthetic of Scott Pilgrim is so nice. The you do get a little bit of the. Uh, comic in the movie you know in some of the animation that you get to see which was also really nice Uh, and i definitely if again if you want to just stop thinking about this movie and just look at it uh the comics are so cute and uh have such a unique like you know when you're looking at a scott pilgrim comic yeah Um, so i I like that as well okay well i think that's going to bring us to the end of our discussion on scott pilgrim versus the world as we do at the end of every episode we will deliver our ratings joey uh what rating do you want to give this movie i give this movie a bloody fist full of quarters nice i give this movie a pile of arcade coins that just spilled all over the floor (laughs) gross Um, so there you have it. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I am glad I've seen this movie so I can have an opinion on it. feels like a decently polarizing movie. Um, and now I know exactly how to feel when somebody That's comes right. up to and me. That's right. And now and so says, do you, listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when someone comes to tell me well, that they love this movie, I can, I can draw all the worst possible right. conclusions. You can Great. push them to the ground and... Uh... <laughs> Tickle their their inner knees. Or oh, jeez. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next is Space Jam, the King James of edition. That's uh, right. Space Jam, <laughs> a new legacy. The King James edition. I love it. Uh, yes, we're going to be... Cinema is back, baby. Space Jam is in theaters, and we're going to go watch it. Is it on HBO? I don't or know. Is, I, have to look. I think it comes down on HBO a month after it released in theaters. <laughs> That was what I read, but we'll see. We'll just have Either to do the way, quotes ourselves. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna be watching it and talking about it right here on Affable Chat. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, then tell your friends. All you have to say is, "Have you considered listening to Affable Chat?" You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel that has videos on it. It's called Affable Chat. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>